was I going to allow them a couple other touchdowns and, you know, have to look myself in the mirror knowing I did that. Um, that's, that's not the type of person I am. Hi everyone, it's Coach Falls from the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks, and you're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Today, Dakota and I have a very special guest joining us. We have three-time Yates Cup champion, twice as a player, once as a coach, the current head coach for the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks, Michael Falds. Coach Falds, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on, Zach and Dakota. Um, you know, you guys are doing a great thing, talking about OUA football, U sport football, um, especially when we haven't seen a football game in, in probably 18 months. So uh, thank you for continuing to, you know, pique everyone's interest and talk OUA football. I mean, you're welcome, but thank you for, for being a part of OUA football and allowing us to have something to talk about. And I'm going to get this out of the way right away. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard our other episodes, but I, I mean, when we did the offseason walkthrough tour, I probably asked every player this, and I know what the answer is going to be, but I have to ask you this. Your your last game of last season, did you know the math, the intricacies of the math of playoff positioning or anything like that? I think I was told it prior, but then put it out of my mind. Um, so I think I was told, you know, if we were to lose by a certain amount or, or something like that. Um, but you know, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a competitor and, and that would never be entertained. Um, you know, some might argue, well, that's silly. Like the goal should be to make the playoffs. Um, my thinking is, is, you know, the ultimate goal is to win a Yates cup in this conference. And if we're not good enough to beat Carlton that day, then we didn't deserve to be in the dance to have an opportunity to win a Yates cup. So, um, you know, if, if we were going to get in, we were going to do it the right way. Um, and, and we did it. So we knew going into that week um, after, you know, that thriller three overtime game against Waterloo the week before, um, we thought we might have already booked ourselves in. Um, but the way the rest of that weekend played out, we knew it was going to come down to a game against Carlton and we were going to have to win it. Um, you know, sure, there was that one little wrinkle mathematically, but, um, you know, I wasn't about to look at that and I have no regrets, you know, was I going to allow them a couple other touchdowns and, you know, have to look myself in the mirror knowing I did that. Um, that's, that's not the type of person I am. No, I, I, I didn't think, I didn't think you were. And I, <laughs> and that's exactly the answer that I thought, but it had to come full circle. I had to ask it. I mean, when I was watching that game and there were 39 seconds left and they had the ball to 50, I was like, if they just open up the defensive line and he scores, then Laurier's in the playoffs. But I, I just, I had to ask. And I also understand from your point, I mean, you're, you're a coach for, it's not youth football, but it's youth football in the sense where it's amateur, it's, it's college and you're, you're teaching these players valuable lessons. Then it's kind of what lesson are you teaching them? If it's like, let's, let's roll over to fight another day, but maybe not like, do we deserve it? So I, I, I understand. I just, for my sake, I had to ask it from watching that game. And, and I think on the recap episode, I talked about it to asking every player that we talked to, I had to ask you. No, I can, no, I can understand why you're asking the question. I, I can understand why there are some critics, right? There are some critics that would say, well, you know, the rules, you know, what needed to happen. Like, you know, why wouldn't you want it to happen? So I, I can understand and appreciate both sides. 
Um, and maybe some other coaches would have taken a different approach, but no, I, I can live with, you know, the decisions we made. I can't live with how we played that game. We actually didn't play very well. Um, and, and that was our fate then. That's why we weren't in the playoffs. No other excuse than, you know, we didn't play our best brand of football that day and Carlton beat us fair and square. I mean, you, I think you definitely would have made headlines if it had worked out in your favor. But I also, in the back of my head, I was like, if they let him score, the running back could just pull a Nick Chubb and just lay down. And then you look silly for trying to let him score, but then him being like, no, nah, we're not even going to score. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it doesn't matter what I think, but that the right decision was made, even if, you know, it came at the cost of not making the playoffs. Agreed. <laughs> so, Coach, in in the last uh, few months, we've had a lot of players and former players on kind of talking and, and sharing about their experience, not just in the time they were playing, but we had a whole series dedicated to the life after football, and we got a lot of cool perspectives on how people have, have transitioned out of the game. And a lot of the time, it comes down to this this piece of identity that once a football player, kind of always a football player, and that you know, whether you, you go into uh, whether you're able to continue your football career, whether you start up a, a podcast covering it or, or go into coaching, it, it sticks with us. And and for yourself, you got into the coaching game pretty quickly last season with Western 09. And then you're with York. Was it the very next season as the OC? Yeah, the very next year. So I, I made that quick transition. And you spend a few years there, work your way up, and and you're the the head coach for Laurier in 13, and, and you've been sailing there ever since. But because I know there's a lot of players who who coach, you know, when they're in school, whether it's with the local club team, summer teams, or just want to get into it afterwards, I'm curious what um you know what was that transition like for you? What were the steps you were putting in place, getting yourself ready? Because I know there's so many guys that might not be able to have the football career after university, or might not be able to get that far. But coaching's a very viable option. What what sort of steps did you take? What kind of advice do you have for young players or, or young men and women who want to get into coaching? Yeah, I would just say have a big picture approach, right? So so often as university athletes, and I was guilty of it in my first few years as a player, you're so focused on playing professionally. Um, I think I had the benefit of, of playing quarterback in this country. The, you know, reality of going to play professionally is slim to none, you know, and I've often made the argument, you can be the 10 best O-lineman in this country or the 14th best receiver or the seventh best safety or the 12th best linebacker, and you'll be in the CFL. But if you're the top quarterback in this country, there's no guarantee, right? So I quickly realized that probably in my, maybe my third year at Western that although, you know, I was having a pretty decent career and I felt that, you know, I might have the tools and the ability to play at the next level. Um, my biggest deterrent was the position that I played. Um, but I also knew like a lot of, you know, student athletes that, you know, I loved this sport and like you guys, I wanted to talk about it and see it and coach it and be around it as, as much as I can. Um, so I, I started looking into coaching and I think what I just did is I became a really good listener. So I wasn't just an average player who just kind of sat in meetings and, you know, had my players hat on. I actually tried to do as best I can every decision that coach Marshall or other coaches around me made. I tried to put on a coaching hat as well. Um, and then, you know, advice for other people is just getting involved in whatever you can, whether it's, you know, a summer football league 
whether it's working youth camps, whether it's, you know, seven on seven, uh, there's a lot of pop-up leagues. Um, obviously it's tough in a pandemic, but um, being exposed to as many people as you can, can help. Um, you know, in the old adage that you've heard a lot of time, it's not necessarily who you know, it's but who knows you, right? So how many people can you get in front of and, and build a little bit of a relationship? Um, and I recognize every day, I was very fortunate to step into a university OC uh, position right away. And I, I thank Warren Craney to this day for giving me that opportunity. And it was kind of just the perfect storm. Um, you know, there's Warren Craney, the defense coordinator at Concordia, becoming the head coach at York on June 1st. And you can imagine becoming a head coach June 1st when August training camp is a month and a half away. So he very quickly had to find an offensive coordinator. And I was available and I was a name that was familiar, fresh out of playing. And he thought, why not? Right. So um, it was the perfect storm for me to kind of get into coaching. And, um, you know, I, I, I learned trial by, by fire, but I'm definitely where I am today um, because of, you know, that step and, and Coach Crane. Well, it's, it's definitely played out beautifully for you. Um, and, you know, if we go back in your career a little bit, I'd say this past decade in the 2010s, that is really seen football as a as a national sport just skyrocket from I forget the first year when it was the the Canadian US game the the under 18 or whichever one that was I remember there was a we beat them in one of those matchups and it was like holy we're actually really competitive but for yourself growing up you competed with a lot of team Canada events and teams I'm curious just from your experience as a younger player to sort of how you've seen the game grow nationally now what some of those differences are and what some of those key points that you've seen bring it to where it is now from what it perhaps was uh, when you were a player yeah it's gotten better and I would say it's gotten better at the grassroots level so I was fortunate when there was a junior team Canada, uh, we played every year in the host site of the Super Bowl. So I was first the team Canada quarterback at just 16 years old. And we were down in Atlanta and we actually won the first gold medal um, for Canada at the junior championship. And it's not talked about a lot because we actually didn't face the U.S. in the championship. Uh, we actually faced team Europe in the championship. Um, so yeah, football has come a long way since then. Um, I got opportunities to play both in San Diego, uh, and New Orleans as well. And, and both of those times we came up short to the U S. Um, but it really is how many people are exposed to the sport and how many people are starting at those younger ages. Whereas I would say, you know, in the past, most people first started playing football, not until high school. Um, and we've also all seen the transition from sports becoming very seasonal to people taking sports very serious, like it's kind of a 12 month of the year uh, job, um, you know, so whether it's the weight training, whether it's nutrition, all of those things. Um, and I, I, you see it pay off at every level, even, you know, when us youth sport coaches are talking to CFL scouts or personnel they're talking about the quality of Canadians that are coming out now, even to the CFL level and how much better it's gotten over the years. So overall Canadians uh, are getting better. Um, and you can even look at the examples 
of the Canadians that have gone on to play in the NFL, um, whether it's Claypool or, or many others who aren't just Canadians playing in the NFL, they're actually impact players. Um, so the overall kind of microscope on football in this country is really good. Um, but I will say that with an asterisk because we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and we need football to exist in 2021 in this country. Um, and it, it starts, you know, in a, in a few months with the CFL. Well, going back to that gold medal real quick, um, you know, you may not have beat the U.S., but hey, you guys were there. They weren't. So, I mean, you know, they they need to pull their weight in that instance but you're totally right we need football back um and to sort of segue um you, you mentioning before we started recording that your boys you know transitioning over to Laurier now your your team has now started to get some practices going a little bit outside what's sort of happening at Laurier right now how's it been dealing with this year of just chaos and 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 everything going on to where you are now where's sort of your mind at in terms of of the team and, and what you can do moving forward yeah, well, you guys know that as being former student athletes, your life is so used to structure, right? So us coaches, us former student athletes and the current student athletes, um, you like that regiment of being busy and knowing what every day looks like. Whereas in the world of a pandemic, you have your online requirements, but every day kind of looks the same and kind of blends together. So the biggest thing we're trying to create is structure. Right. So our guys have, you know, three virtual workouts a week. They've got team meetings. They've got O&D meetings. They've got, you know, positional meetings. And then on top of that, we're finally allowed in, in small potted groups of 25 players at a time. Uh, we're going to get back on the field this week. So is it the same as we normally are? I, you know, I can't look you in the eye and say yes, but it is something and it's created some structure that, you know, at least five days of the week, our guys, even through a computer screen, are seeing their coaches, they're seeing their teammates. Um, and it's been a little bit of something. And I think it's helped everyone through this process. Um, but we're all itching for, you know, fingers crossed that maybe there's hope of a little bit of a, a real spring camp and something in the near future. Well, I think that's great. You guys are finally able to go on the field as Zach and I are in Toronto. We aren't legally allowed to like leave our houses right now so very very jealous from over here um I, i'm sure this has probably been the longest that any of your players have you know well any f uh student athlete has kind of had uh for an off season because you know off seasons of football really aren't an off season as you kind of get back to practice right away and this is leading to the question where i heard a rumor and i just kind of want to know if it's true that you practice all the way up until the vanier i just want to know if that's true yeah, kind of so what's that about yeah, so, so this is where I always try to wear a coaching hat, like I said, as a player. And I also, even when I was a coordinator at York, tried to wear a head coaching hat and thinking, what would I do if I'm ever in that position one day? So the one thing I always thought of is, why are there haves and why are there have-nots in football? Like, why is Western always at the top and then certain teams always at the bottom? And same thing in the RCQ with Laval and so on. And then I thought to myself, we're only guaranteed eight games. And through those eight weeks, we have roughly three practice days. So if you're a Western, not only are you already better than the teams in your conference, but in most cases, you're getting at least three extra weeks of practices. So nine extra practices and three extra games. 
if you multiply that over any player's university career, they're getting essentially two extra seasons of football than the players on the have not teams. Right. So when you look at player development and everything, we were missing out on a lot. So my message when I got to Laurier is we're out in week eight, but we're going to practice till the Banya Cup. And it was kind of like a mantra and everyone kind of beat the drum with it that when the Yates Cup was happening, I was like, we're one of nine football teams practicing this Tuesday night. The eight teams playing this weekend and Laurier football. The next week, it was we're one of five. And when it got to that, I would say, we're one of three teams playing this week, Calgary and Laval and Laurier football. And it was just kind of that constant driven message that if we're to close the gap, we're not going to do that sitting on our couches. we got to be out on the field, actually practicing, actually playing, and really trying to close the gap. Um, and, and the message was well received. And it's the same with, you know, we're given 20 out of season practices. We've never not used all 20. Um, you know, one of my philosophies and our players hear it all the time is having no regrets, right? So you're going to have bad things that happen to you in your life. But if you've done everything the right way, even if a bad thing happens, you don't win a championship, you don't become an all-star. If you have no regrets about your process, then you can live with that. But if we had a poor season and I knew we only used 11 out of 20 off-season practices, I would earmark that as a huge regret. If we use all 20 and we practice to the Vanier and we've done everything, you know, we've asked of each other and we don't fulfill our dreams, then I can say, okay, we gave it our all, right? So that's kind of the, the genesis. So it's not a rumor. We, we every single year practice to the Vanier. I can even tell you this, so we we win the Yates, as you know, in 2016. We lose to Laval, um, so we're not going to the Vanier Cup. We still practice one extra week. Um, even though we had just finished at Laval, everyone thought we were crazy. We still had one more week of practice because we weren't in the Vanier. So some years it's a grueling four or five weeks of practices that really don't mean an opponent that week and and one year it was just one practice but uh until we get to the venue that's that's something we're going to do well i mean the way you explain it is before i kind of thought of you know like no one's really want to go outside but when you explain it like that i'm i can see why your players are down to practice outdoors and you know late october november even though it gets a little i want to put the pads on right now and, and go play for you coach that got me hyped <laughs> Zach, up Zach, you're 70 pounds <laughs> underweight for being o-line um Couple more. You can find a spot for me. As a coach, this is a little weird. Do you have any say in the uniforms you wear, like which jerseys, which helmet combinations, or is that kind of you just don't care about that? No, I give it up to the players. So what I do tell them is, um, so based on whether we're home away or who we're playing, I'll have to decide on the jersey. So for instance, if you know, we're playing Western. We'll obviously have to make sure we're not in purple. Um, and then with us having a gold jersey, we obviously have to make sure we're never wearing the gold with playing Queens. Um, outside of that, so we have obviously two sets of helmets, two sets of pants. Once the jersey is selected, then there's like a leadership group that can pick whatever helmet pant combo they want. Um, and the, I let them live with that. Okay. The the reason I asked that is because I think you guys have lost your last three or four games wearing those gold jerseys. 
So <laughs> maybe retire them next season and see how it goes. Or you can try and break the see, curse, I'm, but uh I'm the opposite of that. I'm I'm the type of guy that even if I'm on a win streak and I've eaten the same meal, I will do the opposite just to prove that it's not right. So like superstitions and rituals don't work with me. I'm sure I have some routine in my life, but I live my life trying to break trends um, so that I don't become obsessed with it, right? It's like those guys that wear the same shirt under their jersey for five years and don't wash it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't mix with that stuff. Well, I mean, I wish you the best of luck at your next gold game. I will circle it go back to this audio and it's going to be all over everywhere if you lose that game. But if you, if you win and you break it, that's great. Um, getting on to a little bit of a more serious, I mean, I don't know if you've been catching it, Zach and I have been having, it's called the talk, just talking about mental health in sports. Um, and I mean, obviously you're, I don't want to call you a player's coach because I feel like it has weird connotations, but you are a player's coach. I mean, it feels like from what I've heard around the league, you're very for your players. Um, when there were, we won't get into it, but certain things going on, in you know the late spring early summer you were very vocal online when some other people necessarily weren't can you speak on the importance of not being a being a coach but not just you know calling plays and scheduling workouts but also kind of being there for your players showing them the human side of you and having that you know vulnerability and a connection with them yeah i would just say kind of our mantra here at laurier football is that we're going to win every day in everything we do so I always tell everyone, and I said this back in our first year in 2013, we were a one in seven football team. And I said, guys, everyone outside of this locker room is going to judge us on eight days of the year. So if you're eight and oh, they think everything is rosy and picture perfect there. If you're oh and eight, they think everything is horrible there. And if you're somewhere in between, it's somewhere in between. Are we really going to allow eight days of the year to define us? And if you break it down even further, games are three hours. So 24 hours of the year is defining what people outside of these walls think of Laurier football, our players and our coaches. Um, I said, no, that's BS. We can win every day in everything we do. So when you wake up in the morning, if you hit snooze, that's an L. If you decide to brush your teeth, that's a W. If you're walking into the athletic center and you hold the door open for an elderly person who's behind you, that's a W. If you try to cram for a midterm the night before a midterm, that's an L. So I said, start chalking up in your life wins and losses in every decision you make. And you'll actually realize you make a heck of a lot more good decisions. Um, as it relates to you know the social justice movement, mental health, um, anything our players might be going uh, through or what they might be hearing through social media. Um, I told them kind of my stance is I'm not going to be silent. Um, a lot of these topics, um, you know, are very newsworthy, obviously, and maybe tough conversations to have. But the tough conversations, the adversity in life is what makes life good and what creates, you know, good change. So, I would, you know, contribute it maybe to being a little bit of a player's coach, but you're always just trying to get the pulse of your players and to know your players. Um, and, you know, as much as they might learn from me, I'm always learning from them as well. So 
Um, you know, mental health obviously is a huge topic right now because of the pandemic and, you know, for student athletes not playing the sport they love. Um, so, you know, we just, our, our philosophy here is, you know, taking care of the players 365 days of the year. And, you know, not that we don't care to win football games. We want to go 8-0. We want to win a Yates. We want to win a Vanier. Um, but we put just as, as much importance on February 25th as October 20th as July 4th. You know, every day is super important when you're a part of this program. And that, that's great to hear. And you were saying, obviously, you know, tough conversations are conversations that you, you should have. And I feel like that relates directly to football where I've heard 9,000 coaches saying like, you're not going to grow, stay inside your comfort zone. So, I mean, if that applies to football, then that obviously applies or it should apply to real life. So it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear someone like you say that. So coach, I mean, I, I completely agree with Dakota uh, on that. And just from what you were kind of saying there to talking a little bit about the philosophy of, of playing until the Vanier. Like I remember I, when I was with Guelph and we made it to the, the semifinal loss to Montreal. And I'm just thinking like, wow, if we had to fly out to Quebec next week, I don't know how I would handle anything, but obviously, you know, when you do uh, get your opportunity to be in the Vanier, your players will have to worry about that because they'll have been doing it their whole career. So I, I, I much like Dakota, when I first heard that I was a little bit like, eh, but I, I totally get the rationale. But speaking of good coaching, as a former Griffin, I have to ask you about, you know, some incredible recruits we've seen sign with your team. But to me, and I'm laying it out completely biased, the biggest signing for the Laurier Golden Hawks is you bring in Todd Galloway. Uh, I, I got to ask you about what uh, the impact that uh, Coach Galley, my former OC at Guelph, the impact he's having on the team and sort of what you're excited to see moving forward with him as part of the brain trust. Yeah, no, it's a good question, Zach. Uh, Coach Galloway's an awesome person, as you know firsthand. Uh, interesting enough, he basically started um, last February. So he had about a month of in-person face-to-face with us coaches and us players before this pandemic really started. Um, so we had, you know, maybe three uh, winter practices and so on. And then, you know, we've moved and transitioned to the virtual world. Um, but he's been outstanding. Um, you know, obviously I had, you know, taken over most of the OCing roles over the years. Um, and I just felt like I was wearing too many hats and, and I was the first to admit, um, I didn't think we were performing as well as we could have as a team. Right. And, you know, we had a couple of years of just four and four after two straight Yates cups. So, um, I realized we had to shuffle things up a little bit did a national search and anytime you get a guy who's coached in the last, you know, has won as many Yates cups as he has as an OC um, is a Laurier alum, um, you know, so many boxes he ticked off and uh, our players, even though most of it has been in a virtual world um, have the utmost respect for him. So, you know, we're eager to get back on the field and, and we can actually watch his offense out there. Um, but he's been an amazing hire. No, definitely. And you mentioned, you said February 4th, 
around then 2020 early february it was funny because dakota and i were in mcmaster mid late january doing our off-season walkthrough tour and you know uh i think we're with jacob zott their former o-line and he's like oh yeah galley's here and so i go i'm like galley what's going on and then a couple weeks later we're at laurier and it's like oh yeah galley's here now too so it was though it was uh, it was great that uh you know he settled in at his his old alma mater but you know you mentioned in in that answer and your response there a couple four and four seasons and and this kind of came up talking about just the state of Canada football but if we're looking at the OUA it's been so uber competitive in kind of look at the last four or five years and you know of course Western and and Max still kind of have their seats a little bit at the top but that sort of middle class has just become really intense and you know unfortunately for your team you've kind of caught you know the the short stick in that and having really good seasons but then I mean the the play-in scenarios are always so convoluted um but you know what do you kind of chalk up to this influx of just such competitive football over the past half decade or so in the OUA no it definitely is more competitive and I'd say you know when I was a player probably with about 80 to 90 percent accuracy you could go through the OUA schedule and circle the winners in every single football game um, probably closer to 90 percent accuracy <laughs> whereas nowadays you know you'd still get more than you'd get wrong, but it would be a lot tighter. And there's quite a few toss up games. Um, And you see it with all the scenarios as you enter week seven and week eight. And, you know, you mentioned it, we've been four and four the last two years and haven't made the playoffs. And there've been four and four teams those same years that have made it. So um, I I still always stress to our team, like um, if we want to win a Yates cup, um, we've got to beat those teams anyways. So it's not about just getting in the dance. Um, We've done that. And maybe when we were a young program, that's what it was all about. Um, You know, if the goal is to win the Yates cup, whether you get to the OUA semis or you're not in the dance, um, you're still not happy. Right. So, um, you know, we haven't been happy with, you know, how our seasons have ended. Um, But I would say like even 2017, losing the Yates to Western, I was just as displeased as I was in 2019 as four and four and not making the playoffs. That's kind of how I'm wired. So um, you're right. The parody for OUA football is awesome. And I I think I'd attribute a lot of it to the coaches in the in the league now. Um, and the recruiting that's going on and, you know, the spreading out of, of all these talented, you know, young players that are coming up. And, um, you know, you, you could say it's a quarterback-driven league, but every team kind of has their own identity. Um, and, you know, uh, every single week there's competitive football games. So, you know, if we get back on the field and everyone's fingers are crossed for 2021, I don't see it being any different. I think, you know, week eight, there's going to be 20 something scenarios and it's going to come down to that last week. Well, I, I certainly am hoping and pulling for the same thing. You are coach. You, you mentioned kind of a little back in your day uh, there. And, and I would love to sort of get your take on what it was like for you watching the 2019 Yates Mac Western. And funny enough, and I don't know how the timelines are going to match up with when we're releasing the episodes, but we were just speaking with Chris Merchant prior to speaking with you right now. And 
seeing the the effort he put in to try and stay on the field, tough it out. And he actually mentioned he wanted to see if he could do what you were able to. And of course, you know, it was still in a losing effort for yourself. But everyone remembers that 09 Yates Cup uh, against Queens, that incredible, it was the torn ACL, right? Yeah. Um, when you were watching that 2019 Yates, I mean, it's the 10 year anniversary of it. So maybe it was in your mind as well. Did you have any like flashbacks? Oh, Western QB, the injuries, trying to tough it out. Like any, any uh, emotions come up for you in in watching that? Yeah, no, I definitely felt for Chris and, you know, I texted him after and just said, you know, so proud of him and, and such a valiant effort. And, you know, it's a tough way to go out. Um, obviously you want to end every season healthy, knowing that you're the best player at the end of the year. Um, but that's football. Oftentimes you are banged up or, or something significant has happened. So I know he's a guy that would make no excuses and, and, you know, he's shown his toughness over the years and, you know, he's the Laurier or sorry, a Western legend himself. Um, you know, it was a valiant effort and, you know, I, I did recollect back to, to 09 hobbling around, uh, that Richardson stadium there. Um, but no, everyone, you know, who's a Western alum or was affiliated with Western through, uh, merchants career can definitely, you know, tip, uh, tip of the hat for him and, and how he played his final season. Definitely such a, such a, you know, I guess to use a cliche, sports term like a really gritty effort for him to to try and play out there so the last thing I got to ask since we're talking western QVs I don't know if you caught the interview we did with with, uh, your rival coach Bertoya but we kind of put him on the spot to do a little three quarterback ranking yourself Chris Merchant um, and of course Will Finch and I believe his ranking is ranking went Finch yourself and then Merchant coming in three, and he had his his reasons were more off the field stuff. I think was Finch one because he's he's a Waterloo Region cop. Yourself <laughs> second because you're competing with him against across the sideline. And then he gave Merch third because he's still playing over in Europe. What's your what's your take on not just Bertoya's response there, but also thinking about the three of you as just this incredible three headed monster of Western quarterbacks that just patrolled the gridiron over. Well, over a decade of football for Western. Yeah, nice. No, I, I actually didn't hear it. But, you know, his you can't go wrong with any ranking. You know, um, maybe I'll look deeper into each person's quality. So I will say um, Merchant, it's his sneaky running ability. You know, he's like a fullback playing quarterback. You know, tough as nails, would, you know, run at anyone. Um, and deceptively fast. Like even when you think back to the Vanier that they beat Laval, um, he had, you know, a nice touchdown run in that game. Um, I would say, you know, Will Finch, unfortunately he had to call it a career, but probably one of the most accurate passers um, Canadian football has ever seen. So his touch, his precision, his accuracy. Um, and, you know, I'd say my best quality was you know leadership and being a bit of a gunslinger um so um those guys are definitely more polished quarterbacks uh than i was and i just tried to make up for it with you know grittiness toughness and all of that so um you know those two i'll I'll put myself third and and give those two um and maybe uh maybe merch slightly just because he actually he has the big vanier cup um, but will, like I said, probably the best pure accuracy passer um, that's come around the OUA in, in probably the last 20 years. 
Well, you can certainly add humble to the list of uh, character traits in describing yourself or for generously putting yourself third, because I'm sure a number of people would move those rankings around uh, in any number of way. But you're absolutely right. You really can't go wrong talking about those three names. Uh, and, of, and of course, yourself just as much as any of the other two. Uh, Coach Falls, thank you so much for joining Dakota and I today, uh, giving us a little insight into what makes Laurier special and, and just everything going on with you. Really appreciate it, Coach. Awesome. And thanks for having me. And just another, you know, applauding of you guys, um, you know, whether it's local TV networks with the local CTVs in every city, you know, taking sports out of it, um, you know, newspapers are, you know, non-existent anymore. There's a lack of content for sports in this country and, and we're feeling it at the OUA and U sports level. So, what you guys are doing, talking about the game, sharing stories, whether it's coaches, players, um, it's awesome. So, you know, all of us in the football fraternity, even if, you know, we don't get to say thank you all the time, uh, we definitely do say thank you for continuing it. Um, and if there's any way that any of us can help, and not just me here at Laurier, I'm sure this goes for any coach across the country, uh, don't hesitate to reach out because you got a good thing going. I appreciate that, and we have you on record, so I'm certain we'll take you up on that. Uh, Thank you so much, Coach. All the best. All right. Take care, guys.